The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and verse 10. This is entitled, The Conversion of Nineveh. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's walk, and he cried out, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone great and small put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. This is the story of faith and faithful struggle. Thanks be to God. Let us be in a spirit of prayer as we prepare to hear the sermon. O Holy One, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer, and may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. What are we investing our lives in? With each word spoken, each relationship tended, each resource used or shared or nurtured, each direction of mind, heart, spirit, and policy shaped, we build the world together. It may be a world in tune to the rhythms of God or adamantly opposed to them. Most often a world torn between the two. But like Jonah, like the disciples, like every creature in creation, God calls us to break down the barriers to collective flourishing, to pick up the possibilities of doing things differently, to trust in the deliverance of God and the power of steadfast love that enables us to divest from evil and practice together recreating the world. Aaron has just read and Miss Christina has just demonstrated the story of Jonah. The whole story is great for VBS and Sunday School. It lends itself well to fun with props and has the big exciting character of a whale. But the passage we heard, the smaller piece, the pericope, focuses on the fact that Jonah is a prophet who has listened to God and is now mad that things in Nineveh didn't go his way. The Ninevites were not condemned for their sinfulness, their obvious sinfulness. So let's take a moment to think about two aspects of this. One, that we, like Jonah, are called to work in the world. And two, that it is not our place to judge or decide punishment. So first, we are prophets. 
you may be reticent to think that about yourself. You may think, I'm not a prophet. I'm not called. But we really all are. We are called to love others in this world. It's a wonderful thing to examine our sense of call. Some of you may know that I spend some of my days working with the District Committee on Ordained Ministry or the Board of Ordained Ministry for the conference. And in those settings, I get to hear people remember their call. In those cases, it's their call to ministry. But every day working with each of you, I recognize your call. Your call to be the chair of your committee, your, your call to sing in the choir, your call to be kind to your neighbor. And I rejoice in that. One of the ways in which our church participates in the call of individuals to the ministry is through our SPRC. We had a meeting this past Wednesday with our bishop who reminded us that one of our most important tasks, our job, is to discern those who may be called to some kind of ministry. And there are a variety of ways to be ministers in the church. The one that you might think of most commonly is that of pastors. As pastors, as ordained elders in the church, we are called to word, sacrament, order, and service. Word, of course, is the Bible, so it's the reading, the preaching, the studying of the Bible, those things that I love to do so much. And sacrament is the authority, having been taught carefully, having understood carefully what it means to preside over the sacraments of holy baptism, holy communion. Order is one that you may not be as familiar with. Order means the way that we administer the church, the way that we are administrators, the way that we handle the normal everyday goings on, the way that we supervise staff, the way that we bring together folks in the world. And service, of course, is our service to the community, our mission, our work in the world. Those are the things that I feel called to the reasons that I pursued ordained ministry in the United Methodist Church. You may also know that another place of ordination is that of deacons. Deacons are ordained to word, service, compassion, and justice. They do not provide, preside over the sacraments. They do not administer the work of the church, but they do reach out to the community. They work in the community in compassionate and justice ministries. There are a variety of other ways that you can serve the church as deaconess, as home missioner, as lay minister, as lay speaker. There are so many ways. And if you feel an inkling of a call, get in touch with me and I would love to help you explore that. But even if you don't feel an inkling of a call, I would say that you, yes, you are called. Jesus calls all his followers to serve people and invite them into relationship with God. Jesus told everyone, not just religious leaders, to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. Those are Jesus' words in Matthew 5:16. But even the United Methodist Church baptismal vows, which include repentance, resisting evil, injustice, oppression, and serving Christ as one's Savior are a commissioning into ministry. The Book of Discipline, the version that came out in 2012, states, 
All Christians are called through their baptism to this ministry of servanthood, outreaching love, expressing the mind and mission of Christ in the world to the glory of God and for human fulfillment. That's at paragraph 126. You don't need to preach to live out your baptismal vows and answer God's call. You can do that in countless ways. Listening to a distressed friend, delivering meals to the homebound, helping an immigrant navigate the city bus system, advocating for better education for impoverished children, raising funds for a mission project, bringing a canned good to the Broderick's car next Sunday between one and two in the church parking lot, forgiving someone, speaking a kind word to an overworked shop clerk, pursuing a professional vocation as a teacher, nurse, doctor, social worker, attorney, and so many others. Telling someone about God. That might be your way of being a prophet in the world. That might be it, or it might be something I haven't named here or that you haven't even discovered yet. The boots on the ground ministry of all lay people, wherever you find yourself, is the most influential arena where words and actions illuminate the love of God and draw more people closer to Christ. We are all ministers, even Jonah. <laughs> now Jonah was a prophet and Jonah feels the message is simple enough for a one sentence sermon, 40 days more and you will be gone. All the Ninevites need to do is believe and surprisingly to Jonah, they do, all of them. Even the animals on their hawks and hooves are putting on sackcloth, repenting of their sinfulness. Now Jonah was sure it was gonna go one way, that God would smite the whole village, but that's not the way it went. The Ninevites repented and God did not do that thing. Miguel de la Torre says the real difficulty here is that the Ninevites, the Assyrians, go through all this. They repent, they put on their sackcloth, and they receive this forgiveness like the prodigal son. Welcome back. We welcome back those who have sinned when they repent. What Miguel de la Torre says is, was there actual transformation? He says there's no evidence of the Assyrian society after the days of repentance. What went missing in Jonah was any attempt to change the culture so that once the fasting and praying was done, Assyria would no longer be a dangerous neighbor. You see, we also know how the story of Assyria ends. They don't embody hope and love and forgiveness going forward. They destroy Jonah's nation. They destroy the Northern Kingdom of Israel. The part with the whale and the ship and refusing to go and being turned around all sounds good as a children's story with lots of fun props. But the part where I said I'm sorry so everything's fine now and I'm going to go back to what I was doing and what I did is just not right. <clears throat> Jonah knows it's not right and he doesn't want them to get away with it. But they do repent and judgment is withheld. And Jonah is upset about that. So there are three ways we can read this story. We can read it quite simply, and the moral is, don't run from God. We can go a little deeper and say, well, 
don't be like Jonah because he is mad because he's upset at God's mercy. And the third level, a little deeper, did the Ninevites actually change? The Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel following this. I'm going to pull out a Star Wars reference here. There's an old uh, cartoon, like a drawing, a picture, a meme of a stormtrooper sitting with his hands on his head saying, I had friends on that Death Star. Did all of those people deserve to die? A recent episode of another Star Wars series called The Mandalorian explored this from the perspective of the stormtrooper. They spent some time in the shoes, in the uniforms of the stormtroopers and, and thought about what it was like to work together for a cause that you believed in. But it sure didn't look that way from our side, watching that Death Star blow up when we were on the side of the rebels, right? And it sure didn't look like that for Jonah on the other side, who was thinking surely all those guys are bad guys. This story is demonstrating that we all need to repent because we have all benefited from the system, even the stormtroopers. Even those in our society who are not actively racist, but have benefited from white privilege or advantage, everyone great and small, even the livestock, repent in Nineveh, putting on that sackcloth, right? In our society, even during apartheid, there are those who benefit because they happen to be born with a particular skin color in a particular time and place. We gain advantage because of our participation in the system, not something we can intend or design. It happens in all systems of domination and power. All of those in Assyria benefited as they subjugated other people, and they are being asked to repent, to turn from that system of being to something better, coexistent, peace, not power over, but power shared. Isn't that what this is really all about? Power? Jonah believed he was right. He thought he knew what God wanted, and those evil Assyrians would be punished for what they had done and for who they were. But as much as we think we have power in this world, we have it all right and we can do the judging. It is God who holds the true power and glory forever. We pray that every day. The scripture actually says that God changed God's mind and didn't bring the calamity to pass. But I think the writer is anthropomorphizing God. That is, making God human-like, assigning human qualities to God. We do something like that when we talk on behalf of our pets or we assume human emotions or human feelings to them, or even in those old Disney wildlife movies. We ascribe them emotions that we would have and what we would do. We do it for God too, ascribing the God the ability to change God's mind, as opposed to being constant, unwavering love, which is how I truly understand God to be constant and unwavering love. God truly is mystery, beyond understanding. God doesn't micromanage our affairs. God doesn't even macromanage the affairs of the Assyrians. 
Martin Luther King Jr. said it well when he said, I don't think God approves the death penalty for any crime, rape and murder included. Capital punishment, he goes on to say, is against the best judgment of modern criminology and above all against the highest expression of love in the nature of God. Martin Luther King goes on to say, capital punishment is society's final assertion that it will not forgive. That would not be the action of a loving God and is not something that we as a society should do. When we, like Jonah, believe that others cannot be forgiven, we are not pronouncing God's judgment. We are pronouncing our own. And as Christians, we are called to be merciful just as God is merciful. We are called not to judge one another, but to serve one another. With each word spoken, each relationship tended, each resource used or shared or nurtured, each direction of mind, heart, spirit, and policy shaped, we build the world together. Like Jonah, like Nineveh, like the disciples, like every creature and creation, God calls us to break down the barriers to collective flourishing to pick up the possibilities of doing things differently, to trust in the deliverance of God and the power of steadfast love that enables us to divest from evil and practice recreating the world. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.